The following content is provided by MIT OpenCourseWare under a Creative Commons license. Additional information about our license and MIT OpenCourseWare in general is available at ocw.mit.edu. In, in the last lecture, I was talking about the fact that people, um, kids go through roughly the stages of language development they go through the same set of language development stages. Ooh, did it stop? Do, do, do. Nope. Um, a babbling sort of pre-verbal stage, one word, two word, and then more than uh, two word stages. And uh, the, the question we're left with at the moment is, well, what is it that they're actually learning when they're learning language? There's lots of stuff that they're that's got to be learned. One of the things that I saw in the handout somewhere there, as I recall, is they've got to do a remarkable job of learning words and word meaning between about a year and a half and six years of age in order to explain what the... Um, uh, in order to account for the vocabulary that a six-year-old has, you have to assume that children are learning five to ten words a day, every day. So... You know that that that's that's a rate sort of approaching a word uh, a, a word an hour or so, and they're not doing it in school, right? It's not that they're going to school and every day they're being handed long vocabulary lists. They're just picking this stuff up. It's it's an amazing um, and not trivial feat for figuring out how you do that. You know, yeah. Um, somebody says, oh, "Oh, look, there's the chalk." And the kid not only has to learn this new word, chalk, but has to figure out that it somehow refers to, um, you know, this box of stuff and not to the color yellow or to the letter C or to um, the, uh, uh, you know, small boxes when Bush is president or any of a vast number of other possibilities. It's a very daunting problem. I'm going to focus rather um, than on the word meaning problem, on a different problem, um, which is the problem of learning uh, grammar. And that is, uh, there there are sort of two large-scale classes of theory that I have uh, cartooned. I cartooned them on the board and described them on the, um, uh, on the handout as the East Coast view and the West Coast view. Um, this, this is... Uh, the, the East Coast view could really be called the MIT view originally. It really starts with people like Chomsky here and, and is uh, nicely wrapped up in Steve Pinker's book called The Language Instinct, which if you turn out to be interested in the topic of language and language learning, I strongly recommend you read it. Among other things, Pinker is one of the better writers in our field, and uh, it's, a, it's a good read. Um, the, uh, and, and, and the West Coast view was a, a view held by, oh, people like Mark Seidenberg at, at UCLA. Well, Mark Seidenberg's now at Minnesota, so this ge geographical thing doesn't work so well anymore. Um, but here's, here's the distinction. The, the notion, the, the East Coast guys, so, so let's start with a specific problem. Specific problem might be something like, how do you, well, as it says on the handout, how do you make the past tense in, uh, in, in English? Um, I mean, you'd obviously have to learn how to make the past tense in some other language if you were going to learn, learn yourself some other language. Um, but 
I walked to the store. Yesterday I did what? I, I, I walked to the store. Okay. Um, uh, today I plan uh, to, uh, I don't know, I plan to go to the airport, actually, right after this lecture. Um, yesterday I did what? All right. Okay, so how do we, uh, how do we go and make the past tense in English? Huh? Yeah, that's like an ED on things, most of the time, um, except uh, today I'm going to sing. Yesterday I, I didn't sing. And uh, today we ring the bell. Yesterday we rang the bell or we rung the bell. No, we didn't rung the bell yesterday. The bell was rung yesterday, but we rang it yesterday. Anyway, it gets complicated. And uh, today um, I bring you all this information about language. And yesterday I brought, uh, it's not even brang. So there's a rule. There's a sort of a sub-sing-sang kind of rule. There's a bring, brang, brang. No, brang doesn't work. Brought. Um, so you, you have to learn. Uh, well, so, so kids behave as though they have learned a rule and a set of exceptions. The East Coast view of this is that they really have learned a rule. That somewhere uh, deep in their little brains, it, you could hypothetically go in and find the rule. That it is, that it is written um, in there. One of the lines of evidence for this is that at a certain point during development, as they're learning this, they start to overuse the rule. Um, and a child will uh, say things like, I goed to the store yesterday. And, um, you know, or, 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 or I bringed the ball home from school yesterday, or something like that. They'll start to overgeneralize. They don't do it all the time, but they start to behave as though they are saying, aha, got this verb here. I know I need to make it into the past tense. What's the rule for making the past tense? Um, I, I got I, I to gotta stick an ED on the end of it. Even though a few months earlier, they might have successfully said went. Um, it is as if they learn a rule, and they learn a set of exceptions. The job, uh, and, and when you go in and look for what you, you, you're trying to say, past tense of go. If the past tense of go, you know, I went, doesn't get there fast enough, you default to the rule. You say, I, I, I goed. Um, this assumes, or the, 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 this, the, this assumes a certain amount of stuff in the head ahead of time. That's what this cartoon is about. Doesn't need to be, uh, uh, doesn't need to be exactly this kind of stuff, but this is the sort of stuff that you might have in the head. Um, let, let, let's, let's think, actually, going back to the um, lectures I was giving on cognitive development a couple uh, last, last week. Remember, uh, there's pretty good evidence that little kids have in their head an idea about objects. They know there are such things about objects. So, oops, I didn't put objects in here. Let's assume that there are such things as objects. Um, well, uh, and, and also we saw that little kids um, know something about number. Like they can do that Karen Wynn style baby math. They know that there's um, one and more than one, certainly. Um, and now let's assume that they've got some innate idea 
um, that, that there's some innate capability to learn language. Well, if I'm going to learn a language of any use, it's going to have to be able to talk about these object things. So I'm going to have some sort of innate idea that there will be nouns. I don't know what the nouns are going to look like in this language, but, but, but I come into the world in this view knowing that there have to be noun-like things. Not only that, I know that there can be one thing and there can be more than one thing. It therefore follows that I need to be able to talk about that too. And so my job as a little language learner is to figure out what do the la- nouns look like and, and, and how do I make those into plurals in, in my language. And what I will do, I so there's an infinite number of ways in principle that I could d- designate a plural, but I will learn that for the most part, in English, it's going to be ad s. Right? Oh, look, there's the cat. Um, oh, look, there are the cats. And so on. And I'm going to have to do the same thing as I was talking about in the past tense. I'm going to have to learn there are, are, are exceptions. Yeah, cat, cats, rat, rats, chair, chairs, mouse, uh, mice, fish. For some reason, fish is fish. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, all that kind of stuff. Um, so again, I'll learn a rule. I'll overgeneralize that rule when I get to be three or four years old. Um, and I'll learn a set of exceptions. And I will find, uh, if, when I become a, a literature professor later on and, 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 and study the history of, of English literature, that, the, that, that, that things shift over time. Things that were exceptions or things that were ungrammatical once upon a time might become grammatical. It, it's, it's, a moving, it's a moving target language. You have to figure out what the current state of your language might be. Um, the alternative is to say, the West Coast view, which is really a sort of a neural net, parallel distributed processing kind of view, is to say that we don't have to propose that there's all this stuff, these, these structures in the head in quite the same way. What we can say is, look, there's this very powerful um, association learner in here, and statistic, a, a, a device out there looking for statistical regularity. There's evidence, I think I mentioned last time, that, that little kids, long before they can speak a language, are already um, sensitive to the statistical regularities of what syllables can follow what other syllables in, um, in the noises that they are, are hearing. So you've got this very powerful um, statistical learning device in your head, and it ends up behaving as if it had a rule, but the rule is not... Um, explicitly, is, is, is not written out anywhere in, in, in brainware. It's just the way the network behaves. In the same way that, um, that this hunk of chalk, where's somebody who looks reasonably alert? Do you look reasonably alert? No, no, she's looking elsewhere to see if she can... Uh, no, no. All right, how about if I just throw it out there? There we go, look at that. See that? Oh, very good. Send it back. That's a smart hunk of chalk. It knew to fly on a parabolic path, <laughs> right? Knew, knew a whole bunch of like 801-style physics. It didn't know it in any real sense, of course. It behaves as if because you know, it, it, it's operating under, uh, under simple physical forces in the world and ends up behaving as if it knows physics. It's a, it's a, it's a somewhat stretched analogy, but the same sort of thing is going on here. The, uh, 
you learn about the linguistic world you are in, and then you behave as if you knew uh, these these rules, rather than having some sort of mechanism by which you actually, in a sense, before uh, bef- you know, at birth, knew that there should be such rules, and merely needed to figure out um, the particular form that the rule took in in your language. These are, in a sense. Um, modern and, uh, and, and not hugely different views of initial positions that are radically different. So if, if this is a continuum here, um, way over here somewhere would be radical nativist views of language, and way over here somewhere would be radical empiricist views of language, um, empiricist. The, um, the most radical nativist views nobody particularly held, except I think I mentioned that little children are subject to this as, as, a, as an erroneous thought, and that's the view that you are not only born um, to have language, but you're born to have a specific language. So that if, if you are um, uh, you know, a Saudi kid that you are born to speak Arabic and that all else being equal, well, even all else not being equal. You're a Saudi kid, you get transplanted uh, to Sweden and at the right moment, Arabic appears. Um, you know, that, that's not true. Nobody, uh, nobody other than a small kid, I think, ever particularly believed this because it was clearly falsifiable. Um, but, uh, but what... The, the, the earliest experiment I know in this area, and I don't know if the experiment was ever done, is something reported by Herodotus in, uh, in, in his book about, his, about traveling in Egypt. And he says that King Symeticus of Egypt, 2,500 years ago, um, believed that there was an original language of, of humankind. Um, where, where King Symeticus... Uh, you know, had grown up in, in the sort of Judeo-Christian tradition, he might have called it the language of the Garden of Eden. You know, what language did Adam and Eve speak in the Garden? Well, it'd be the original language of 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 of, of humankind. And uh, Semeticus figured he would uh, go and figure out what that language was. He actually had a hypothesis about what it was. He was king of Egypt. It stood to reason that the original language of 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 uh, humanity was Egyptian. Um, and so what he is alleged to have done is to take two children, give them to a shepherd, tell the shepherd to raise them with sheep, and uh, not talk to them, and to report to the king what the first word was that these children spoke. And um, the report is that when the children first spoke, their first word was bekos, um, which sounds suspiciously like they were imitating the sheep, I think. But anyway... Um, Bekos turned out to mean bread, um, and that, that seemed like a pretty encouraging thing, except that it meant bread in Phrygian, uh, the language of Phrygia, which is in modern-day Turkey. It, didn't, it wasn't word for bread in Egyptian at all, um, and so Semeticus is reputed to have been disappointed by the results of the experiment. Look, we don't know that the experiment was ever done. We do know, or we're pretty sure we know, how the experiment would have come out had it actually been done. Um, which is that they wouldn't have spoken a language at all. 
that in the absence of a linguistic environment, even if you come into the world with some native endowment to learn a language, which does seem to be the case, you do not speak a normal human language unless you are raised in a linguistic environment uh, at, at, at some point. The re we think we know this from a, an isolated set of cases over, uh, over the course of um, you know, historical record where kids are somehow uh, deprived of linguistic input. Now, that happens typically in, in odd and, and disturbing kinds of circumstances. Um, and so it's, it's, it's nothing like a, a real experiment. Because, of course, you'd never do the real experiment. It wouldn't be even close to ethical. Um, the, uh, the, the, this, this class of children are known as wolf children, a term that has always disturbed me personally. Um, <laughs> But the, the, uh, the allusion is, is not to wolf with an E, but to the uh, legendary story of the founding of Rome where the twins Romulus and Remus are abandoned. I can't remember why, but anyway, they get suckled by a she-wolf. And so if you look at Roman coins and things, you'll see this picture of a great big wolf and, and, and two little babies suckling underneath you know, this, this is, and, and presumably the wolf wasn't speaking good Latin, um, but presumably Romulus and Remus managed to come up with good Latin somehow out of all of this. Um, there are, uh, occasionally it happens that some kid gets abandoned in the woods and somehow survives. I think there's a case of an Indian child that's described in Gleitman. Um, there was a very disturbing book interesting but disturbing book called Genie, written a few years ago about a child of deeply disturbed parents who had taken her and basically locked her in a closet for all of her childhood. Um, and the, 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 the bottom line is that this is not going to be good for any aspect of your development, but you don't develop a normal language. If you don't get exposed to language during a so-called critical period, which for language um, is, is certainly over by early adolescence and, and is... is is getting pretty much over six, seven, eight years old. You'd better get your language experience in there before, before that. Um, you're just never going to speak a normal grammatic language. The door closes on it. So Jeannie, this, this uh, poor girl who was raised in a closet, you could be taught, she could, could be taught a certain amount of, of vocabulary and things like that, but, but could never somehow get a real grip on, um, on the, uh, the, the grammar of a language. It also turns out to be easier to learn a second language during the critical period, but not impossible to learn one afterwards, as those of you who are, you know, have just started learning French or something will be happy to know. Uh, the claim is that, that uh, it's, it's very difficult to become a truly fluent um, speaker uh, of, of a uh, second language later in life. Um, but, uh, uh, but it's not impossible in the way it appears to be impossible to learn a first language after the, after the end of a critical period. Um, the alternative, the radical alternative to uh, King Semeticus on, on one side, if we're sticking with classical references... Um, on this side would be somebody like St. Augustine who writes that he learned, la he knows how he learned language. He learned language um, by, being, by being explicitly taught. 
that the same way you'd learn anything else, that uh, uh, people said, uh, you know, that's chalk, that's a chair, um, you know, that's your, 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 your TA, and, and you learned this sort of stuff. Um, and that it was an act of learning not unlike other acts of learning. Now, this, this gets developed. Uh, St. Augustine was not particularly working on, on learning theory, but by the time you get to the mid-20th uh, century and the heyday of behaviorism and all that good Skinnerian pigeons-in-the-box kind of thing, um, you get uh, theories of language learning that say, well, look, language learning is just a fancy variety of any other kind of learning. You want your kid to speak English, and so you reward him for speaking English. You shape the behavior. Um, you know, and at the, the, the same time you're trying to get the kid to do some sort of complicated thing like, like being toilet trained, you're also trying to get him to do things like saying, um, you know, I go to the store. Yesterday I went to the store. And, and you know, it's, it's just the same thing, more or less. Um, the one of the great efforts to make that into a single coherent story is B.F. Skinner's book called Verb, uh, Verbal Behavior. Um, good name for, from a good behaviorist. It's just another kind of behavior. And uh, sort of the start of the East Coast um, story and the start of um, modern cognitive science in some ways is Noam Chomsky, then a young professor at MIT, writing a scathing review of that book, which still bears reading. It's still fun to, uh, it's still fun to read that. Or you can go read the summary of it, in, uh, or the, 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 the recap of it in, in, in Pinker's book. But you have to imagine this as a sort of a cultural event. Skinner is the leading American psychologist of the time, and this young uh, Noam Chomsky guy is going after him um, with, with, with a bat and, and, and both barrels blazing and any other weaponry you can think of. It is not a temperate review. Um, it is insulting in many ways. Um, and it's an insulting uh, piece written by a young guy about a very senior, established, important guy. And it, started, it's, it starts a revolution. Anyway, I'm not going to go through the whole argument. But the sorts of uh, things that Chomsky points out is that um, the, you know, Skinner's talking about schedules of reinforcement. The, re the patterns of reinforcement for language just aren't there. This has been extensively developed since Chomsky's time. But yeah, yeah, let me, you can imagine this from a, a, a sort of an ex just an example. Imagine yourself back home as a little kid, and you go up to your mother, and you say, Mommy, I loves you so much. What's the chance that she's going to say, bad child, bad child, it's I love you? <laughs> and by the same token, what's the chance that if you go up and say, you know, as a precocious three-year-old, mother dear, I'm sorry to have to say this, but it turns out that I actually loathe you and despise the ground on which you walk. Right? Your mother is not going to say, that's a very sophisticated utterance for a three-year-old. Good job. 
right? You're not going to get, and, and, and look, that's a cartoon version, but when you go and look at substantial bodies of child language and their interaction with, with the grown-ups in their life, you don't find good evidence for systematic correction of language or systematic reinforcement for, for grammatical structure. You don't find any great sensitivity on the part of the kid in that, to that correction when it's given. The, the, the sorts of things that, uh, that every parent has, they show up in the, in, in the child language uh, 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 you know, literature, but any parent can tell you that, you know, you, that you, the kid comes up to you and says, uh, Mommy, I loves you. Um, and, and you say, Oh, that's sweet, honey, but it's really, Mommy, I love you. Um, and the kid says, Yeah, that's right, Mommy, I loves you. Um, they don't show an awful lot of sensitivity to, what, to, to this sort of negative, the, the negative support for what they're saying. How they actually figure out eventually that it's wrong is, a, is, a, is an interesting and important problem. But what is pretty clearly the case is that a story that will explain how it is that I persuaded my pigeon in my intro psych class to do ballet. I think I told that story here. But anyway, you know, I shaped my pigeon to do ballet. That was great. Um, that such a story uh, does not cash out well as a story for how you're trying to explain language. It does not seem to be possible to explain language in, um, in those terms. Um, as noted, if you want to know more about this particular argument, I really would recommend Pinker's, um, Pinker's book, um, it, 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 it's, it's good stuff. Um, so what, what do we got? We got the notion that specific languages are learned. You didn't come into the world pre-wired for English, Arabic, Chinese, or whatever. Language in the abstract, it's not exactly clear what it is that's innate, but something is innate that allows you to learn um, language. And that's something could be as specific as, as, as having, in a sense, the grammar written out in, in some sort of abstract form in your head and you're filling in the blanks. It could be something as, as nonspecific as having a device that's, uh, that's designed to look for regularities in, um, in linguistic input. Um, but something is, um, is in there that, uh, uh, that, that predisposes you and any linguistically normal um, a human to learn language. And in fact, it doesn't have to be, it, it's, it's not just something that's, that's predisposing you to learn um, a, a, a spoken language. One of the most interesting bits of uh, uh, work in recent years in this area um, is the development of what really boils down to a brand new language uh, that we can, uh, gr growing up as much as anything out of whatever this innate endowment is. Uh, this is the story of Nicaraguan sign language. Um, before the Sandinista revolution in the 70s in Nicaragua, uh, I gather that, that, that deaf kids were typically raised at home and, um, and treated as though they were uh, not just deaf, but you know, not, not bright. They weren't going to learn much. Um, 
when the, I don't know if this is universally true, but there was a population of such kids. When, when the revolution happened, one of the things that happened was a, a school for the deaf was set up in Managua, in the capital, and a bunch of deaf kids were brought together for the, um, for the first time. What happened was that deaf, deaf kids, even in, in, uh, in the absence of other uh, members of a deaf community, will produce signs, uh, gestures, that uh, called home signs that indicate certain things. You know, that, 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 you know it, it's sort of a basic vocabulary, not a language, but a sort of a core vocabulary that you can use to communicate with, with your hearing parents, for instance. Um, what happened was that uh, all these deaf kids got together, and um, I don't know what was going on in school, but I think what was going on at night, and, you know, up in up in the dormitories, was they were working something out so they could they they, they could communicate with each other, and they put together a, a a sort of a proto language. Then the next generation, the next cohort of kids come, and now there's a a, a crude linguistic environment. And what has happened over the next few cohorts of kids is that these the, the next round of language learning kids have systematically developed a language that now has grammatical structures in it that look like the grammatical structures of other languages. American Sign Language, which is the common language used in the deaf community, the signing deaf community here, is a language like French, English, Chinese, or whatever. It's not English translated into hand gestures. Um, Nicaraguan Sign Language is not American Sign Language. It's a new sign language with its own set of vocabulary and its own grammatical structure. But that grammatical structure seems to reflect um, an underlying tendency for all languages to have certain structures to them. Let me give you one example, because it's brand new, this, uh, this year's discovery in this realm. Um, suppose you're, you're, you're telling the Jack and Jill story, right? Jack and Jill went up the hill... And, and then stuff happens, and they fall down the hill, right? In English, the fall down part and the hill part are, are, are separate. They are obligatorily separate. There's the verb part, and there's the object of that verb. What You fall down, and you fell down the hill. There's no reason that would need to be the case in a sign language, right? You could perfectly have a gesture that was... that designates the act of falling down a hill. And indeed, apparently, the um, first generations of signers in, Nicarag in, in this Nicaraguan school have signs like that. But the new kids, the kids who came in young and are learning, developing this new uh, grammatical version of sign language, have now separated those signs out and have a falling sign and a hill sign. I'm not, I don't know that the signs look like that at all. The important piece of it, though... Uh, that's another misconception about signs, is that the signs necessarily need to be sort of pictographic. There's no requirement that the hill sign look like a hill. But for those of us who are complete illiterates in anything like a sign language, it might as well be, because it gives you the idea. So they have developed, instead of a falling down the hill sign, a falling hill grammar that corresponds to the same sort of constraints that show up in other languages. Um, strong evidence, this whole project has been interesting evidence for the powerful sense in which the human brain is there 
to, uh, to learn and even if necessary to, to create language. Well, I, that raises the interesting question of, well, what about non-human brains? Do animals have, um, have language? And this has been a question for a long, long time. It's been a scientific question for a reasonably, uh, reasonably long time. Um, it's, if we're going to talk about it, it's important to distinguish between uh, two different sorts of language. One would be the natural, any natural language that the animals might have on their own. Do animals talk to each other in the absence of humans intervening? Um, and the other question is, can we teach them our language? Can we teach them how to, to, uh, how to talk like us in, in, uh, in some fashion? Within this natural and trained language dichotomy, then it's important to, to break this, the question of language down into smaller pieces um, because otherwise you end up in an endless sterile argument about, well, what exactly do you mean by language? Um, you can... If I write a question on the final exam, because it won't be on the midterm, because today's topic is not on the midterm, but if, it, right on, if I write a question on the, on the final exam that basically says, do animals have language, it would be perfectly possible to write a coherent answer for either the yes or no position. Um, but that would depend on what it is that you mean by language. So let's break this down a little bit. For starters, do animals have something that um, we could call signals? Um, do they have sensory stimuli that are um, communicative in their uh, intent? Well, look, the answer to that is, is, is clearly yes. Um, there's no problem with that, with, with, with figuring that out at all. Um, you know, a peacock's tail is a signal to, uh, to the peahen. Um, and, uh, tropical fish. Why are tropical fish, do, do, do tropical fish have all these beautiful colors all over them? Well, the idea is that I'm a tropical fish with, oh, I guess with stripes on, and, and, um, and I got to look for another tropical fish with stripes on, because if I mate with one with spots on, nothing's going to happen. But if I mate with one with stripes on, you know, we, we, we get more little stripy fish. Um, the peacock tail story is supposed to be slightly more complicated. The standard evolutionary story for peacock tails is that peacock tails are really stupid, right? So they don't help you fly. They, drag, you know, they make you more likely to get chomped on by a predator and stuff. But they're a huge investment. And what this is is the male peacock saying, I am so fit. My genes are so good that I grew this whole thing just for you, honey. Um, and, and you really ought to come and check this out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a signal. There's, there, and, and it's not just, an awful lot of animal signals seem to be about um, uh, sex and mating uh, issues. Not all of them. So, uh, vervet monkeys, for instance, have uh, three distinct alarm calls. Um, how do you know there are distinct alarm calls? Well, you go off and record them, and then you get your, 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 your uh, uh, not your iPod, because they don't have the little ear, there you go, your boombox or something, and you play them to a bunch of vervet monkeys. If you play uh, um, 
call number one, all the vervet monkeys jump up a tree. If you play call number two, all the vervet monkeys jump down a hole. And if you play number three, they all stand up and look all around. And apparently, um, what this is about is, if you give, if you see, if you're a vervet monkey, and you see um, a leopard, you give one scream and everybody jumps up the tree because the leopard can't go up the tree. Um, if, you, if you see a hawk or whatever the big predator bird is who eats vervet monkeys, um, you give a different scream, you should jump down the hole because the bird ain't going down the hole. And snakes, you want to just keep an eye out for them. Um, if, so if somebody thinks they see a snake, everybody else is just going to look around. So you got that, that's sort of a three-word vocabulary there. It also gets on to the second issue on the handout. I assume, oh, yes, sir. No, that's not the handout. This is the handout. Yes, it should say meaning. Do these signals have meaning? Well, sure, there's no point to having a signal um, of this sort if it doesn't have meaning. Well, yeah, you could have a signal without meaning. Look, got a rock here. You know, this, this crystal has a particular, you know, has, could be thought of as signaling its, its uh, you know, sapphire-ness or something like that. But no other sapphire gives a hoot about it. There's no meaning there from the point of view of the rock. It just is. Whereas um, an animal's signals of the sort that we've been talking about clearly have communicative intent. There is a, a, a purpose here. And it's not even confined just to animals, it turns out. Um, there are trees who respond to predator attacks by releasing a, uh, a chemical. In the, and it, it's, it's all quite a passive kind of thing. The, uh, um, the, the, the bug chews on the leaves. That ruptures the cells, which causes a chemical to be released, which can then be uh, picked up by the next tree over. The next tree over, in response, now mobilizes a defense against that predator. So in a sense, the trees are talking to, uh, to each other. There's a signal there, and it's being, uh, it's being received. Um, so no doubt that the animal kingdom has uh, signals. The equivalent in human language would be phonemes. Um, and uh, no doubt that, uh, that these signals have um, meaning, uh, at least in some cases, and, and that could be considered to be sort of the equivalent of morphemes. What about... Um, what about human language? What about training an animal to use human language? Could be the case that the only reason that a chimp, who is a close relation of ours, hasn't talked to us is because nobody talked to him. So back in the 30s, the Hayes's uh, couple in Salt Lake City, as I recall, tried this out. What they did was they had a kid. Mara could try this. They, they had a kid, they got a chimp. They said, we'll raise the two of them identically. I don't know, the chimp might sleep through the night sooner. The, um, but they, they, you know, they'll talk to the kid, they'll talk to the chimp. And, and after how long? Oh, I didn't, it doesn't say how long they were at it. You don't want to do this for too long because after a while, um, raising your chimp with your, uh, just hanging around in the, in, in the playroom with your uh, kid is not going to be good for the kid because the chimp may not talk a lot, but the chimp grows big and strong um, and uh, will play with your kid in ways that your kid will not enjoy. But um, the, kid, the, the chimp didn't talk. Any nor and this is important because any neurologically normal child 
raised in a linguistic environment, um, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, 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 learn to, we'll, we'll learn to talk. Um, and, and, or or if, if deaf, we'll communicate, um, you know, and given, given appropriate input, we'll communicate in, in, in other ways. Um, the, um, the chimp is reputed to have said, I think, mama, what, what, what do we got here? Mama, papa, and cup. You know, okay, that, and, 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 and that was it. Now, one of the problems here that was quickly identified is that the chimp's vocal apparatus is not like yours and mine and is poorly designed to make the range of human phonemes that are important in human language. Um, so the, uh, um, uh, it, it occurred to subsequent researchers to try using sign language with, with chimps or ver- uh, because um, the, the chimps are very good with their hands. There's no problem making the sort of gestures. There's no physical limitation on the, on the, on the sort of gestures that, uh, that the chimps could make or gorillas. Um, limited work with orangutans who turn out to be uh, uh, big and lazy, I understand. Um, but gorillas, chimps, bonobo chimps, uh, uh, and, and gorillas are, all make good signers. Um, the, uh, and, and, and so most of the effort to teach human language to um, primates has involved sign language or uh, computer keyboard arrangements where you teach, you're sort of teaching the, the uh, animal to, to type in a sense rather than to, uh, um, rather than to sign. Um, now, it's true that chimps are not, don't have the vocal apparatus to talk the way you and I talk, but that couldn't be the whole story because if you have a child born with some congenital malformation that makes it impossible for them to talk properly, that child will talk badly, but will talk and will learn a language. A chimp, um, in the same situation, will simply not talk. There is a fundamental difference in the way that, uh, that, that, that the chimp and the child are responding to, uh, to linguistic input. Um, so, can you teach them to sign? Yeah, actually, you can teach them to sign. There are a whole string of chimps um, who really do really quite well uh, with vocabularies on the order of, uh, of uh, hundreds of signs that, um, uh, that seem to have discrete meaning. And it's not, it's not limited even to, uh, to chimps. Um, Irene Pepperberg, who um, was here for a while, is now a fellow at Harvard this year, has made a career out of studying uh, African gray parrots. You know, it's, it's a not terribly dramatic, nice-looking little parrot with a, a nice little bird brain. And uh, the nice thing, of course, about parrots is that they, they can form uh, the sounds. That they're, they're pretty good with the phonemes. Right, you know, probably want a cracker and all that sort of stuff. But they're also remarkably bright. And and um, uh, Alex, her great African gray, um, has a vocabulary on the order of I, you know, fifty to hundred words, I I think, um, that it can use in. Uh, I suppose he can use in various and uh, uh, reasonable ways. So, so if you if if Irene says to Alex pick up the blue thing um, or the blue one, 
that you know, Alex will toddle over and, 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 and grab a blue thing. And, and, and if you say, uh, get the truck, it'll go get the truck and stuff like that. It clearly has a grasp of a vocabulary and an ability to use it in, um, in, in some fashion uh, or other. Mostly trained. Almost all the examples of animal use of, of, of a human language uh, you know, any, any aspects of a human language are heavily trained. Again, that's different from a little kid, um, where a little kid will pick up a language just by being around speakers. Um, there is, uh, th- th- there are a couple of instances now in the literature where um, children, you know, the, the, the offspring of signing apes, have picked up signing on their own. So it may, in fact, be the case that they do, that you don't need explicit um, training. But what, is, what, what does seem to be the case is that you can, um, uh, that, that, that chimps and parrots can use um, uh, what, what you'd probably consider to be morphemes, signs with, with meaning of some sort. There are issues about the data quality. So if you uh, point to something, you know, if you point to this banana and uh, ask one of the signing apes, what it is, you'll probably get banana, but you might get something out like, you know, banana, banana, me, tickle, banana, you, tickle, me, banana, banana, or something. And you might wonder whether or not you should code that as, as banana. Um, the, uh, the, the, as I saw one description that said that uh, chimps tend to run on at the hands. You know, the expression to, that, that somebody runs on at the mouth well, chimps sign a lot, these signing chimps, perhaps because they're playing the same guessing game that we're all playing with language. What does this guy want from me? You know, what's he trying to convince? Pointing at that thing? Oh, yeah, if, if I make these banana signs, maybe a few other signs in there, you know, good things will happen. He'll be happy with me, and maybe we'll get good stuff. So, in any case, we've got evidence for... Um, Signals, we've got evidence that they have meaning. How about grammar? Is there any evidence for uh, grammar in, in animals? Um, things get thinner there. Recall that you can use uh, grammatical information um, to get yourself into the meaning of an utterance, even if you don't really... Well, I, I think I, Did I put on the handout? Colorless green ideas sleep furiously, which I think is a, a, a Chomsky-ism originally designed to point out that purely syntactic information tells you something, even without um, much in the way of... You you know how that sentence put together. Actually, this goes back before that. Uh, How many of you are great Alice in Wonderland fans from your youth at some point? Oh, very limited. uh, So... Most people cannot sit here and quote back to me, "'Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borrow groves and the momraths outgrabe." Um, you have no idea what that's about. Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's the Jabberwocky poem in, in, in uh, it's Through the Looking Glass, or uh, I think it's Through the Looking Glass, Ra- rather than... Anyway, it's, 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 in, it's in, uh, in one of the two Alice books. But the interesting thing about it is, even though you have no idea, um, you know, twas brillig and the slithy toes did gyre and gimble in the wabe, you, wah! Well, but you know that now that there are some things called toves 
They have the attribute of slithiness. They can do things that um, are apparently uh, uh, guiring and gimbling. You can say things like guiring and gimbling, ing-ing these things, even though you never, you know, I got no idea what this verb means. You just know it's a verb. So that's the sort of power of the grammar, of the syntax of the language. To what extent do animals have a grip on, on that? Uh, the answer seems to be a pretty limited grip. There is evidence for word order um, sensitivity in, in uh, animal signing, for instance. So um, you, can, uh, you can have uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, chimp equivalent of John hit Mary being different from Mary hit John. Um, those are two the same, you know, same words, um, different order, different meaning. And, and chimps will show a sensitivity to that. In fact, uh, when, when this was a hot issue um, and, and, and people were arguing about it vociferously, uh, Epstein up at Harvard, who was one of Skinner's last students, used to have a great time trying to do chimp, you know, these fancy chimp language demonstrations with pigeons. And he showed that, sure enough, you could get a pigeon to understand that uh, you've got, got a bunch of colored keys in your, your Skinner box, that if I pick red, green, blue, I get food. But if I do blue, green, red, I get water. And the pigeon would respond appropriately to that. So order information is, is uh, there in chimp signing, and it's in there in other behaviors too. It's also, the, the, there's, there's order information, structural information, in natural animal language, too. It's not just, um, you know, ah means snake or something like that. So, for example, bees. How many of you have been to the, uh, uh, well, how many of you seen, have seen uh, the, the waggle dance of bees? No, oh, 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 it's pretty thin stuff here. Um, you get in free to the science museum here, I believe, as MIT students. Sometime like Friday when you're done with the midterm or something. You want to go over to the science museum. You go up to the third floor, fourth floor where the library is. And they got a beehive there. And if you look at this beehive, it's a big glass plane so you can you know, look in on it. What you will see, not so much at this time of year because they're all going to bed at this point. But anyway, um, what you'll see is, is a bee who will be marching up the uh, hive... Uh, with, a, with a characteristic waggle uh, of, of her backside, um, and then looping back down and, and, and repeating this while uh, a whole bunch of other bees are gathered around. It's easy to find because there's typically a sort of a circle of bees watching this. And this is a highly structured bit of communication um, about where to go to look for food. My ra- I, 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 I didn't go off and review my waggle dance information, but um, I'm pretty sure that, I, my, that memory serves correctly to say that um, the length of the vector here uh, gives information about how far you've got to go, that the direction of the vector is giving you orientation relative to the sun about which direction to fly. And I think... Amplitude of the waggle is telling you about the, uh, uh, the, the, the magnitude of the food source. 
how good is this stuff? Um, and I can't, and, and we've got any waggle dance experts? I'm, an altitude? How, what's, how, how, with the signaling how high you should fly? That's cool. I didn't know that. Why would they care? So they don't. Oh, oh, I suppose yes. Of course, yeah, yeah. If 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 the if the, the it, not not all the flowers are just lying on the ground. It could, particularly in Boston, it could be a roof garden. Okay. In any case, that's cool. Do you, but you don't remember what the signal is. Okay. You don't, and you don't remember what the the, the 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 looping back piece contains information too. But I don't remember what that is. Very clever research that people do on on this. It's 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 lovely, lovely, a lovely body of literature. But in any case, very structured. Um, yeah, you know, full full of uh, um, a sort of um, native grammar, um, but it's it, it's it's pretty limited stuff. Um, the perhaps the, uh, the well, there's the, the newest evidence for what the limitation might be um, that makes animal grammar fundamentally different from your grammar and, and my grammar comes from uh, an experiment um, by that I think I put on the handout. Yeah, a new paper by Fitch and Hauser um, where they basically were teaching grammatical structures to, uh, to primates, to non-human primates. Um, and um, yeah, they were pretty good. They were, they, were, they were doing fine on the John hit Mary is different from the Mary hit John part. But it was nested constructions that they simply never managed to get. Um, so, um, you know, Mary, who was engaged to Sam, hit John. That's perfectly fine for you, that, that, that sticking one clause inside another. That was stuff that they could just never manage to get their, um, their primates to, um, to pick up on. Now, this is not an argument. Hauser, uh, in particular, is not somebody who spends a lot of time arguing um, that, that apes are stupid or something like that. Um, the great apes are remarkably clever beasts. Uh, and and in, in studying them, you find uh, cognitive abilities not unlike a lot of our, our, our cognitive abilities. I don't think it's a Hauser experiment, but one of the ones that comes to mind is that I could have talked about in the context of egocentric behavior before, is that an important landmark in the development of, um, in, in your mental development, was when you learned how to lie. I mean, you know, it was, it's another one of these ones that didn't necessarily get uh, a lot of positive reinforcement from your parents when you demonstrated it to them. But it is an important cognitive landmark because it says, I know that what's in here is not what's in there, in your head. I can tell you something that I know is bogus, and you'll believe it. Monkeys can do that too. How do you know this? Well, I, I, I can't remember who did the experiment, but you set up this clever experiment with um, a good uh, you know, person and a bad person. The monkey knows both of these people. The good person... So but both of these people have access to, uh, you know, to these you know, boxes of stuff 
The monkey sometimes has access to the box of this stuff. When the monkey gets access, you know, he can look under, uh, under the box and he finds the banana. You know, oh, cool, great. Or, you know, the grapes or, the, or there's nothing under there. That's boring. Okay, now, now the monkey's on the other side of the cage and here's the stuff. And if the good guy comes in, he looks under one of these things, finds the banana, and he shares it with the monkey. If the bad guy comes in, looks, finds the banana, he eats it and doesn't give the monkey any. So now, do this a few times. Monkey, monkey's got this bit down. Now, um, a third party comes in and, uh, and baits one of these two uh, wells, you know, puts the banana under one of them. And now, if the good guy comes in, what does the monkey do? The monkey basically says, look there. You only get the, you know, look there. That's, the, that's where you want to look. The bad guy comes in. What's the monkey do? He says, look there. <laughs> and and, and um, monkeys will also do this um, to each other, apparently, in, in, the, uh, in the wild. There's a version where you uh, um, stash stuff around a field and... Um, how does it work that the monkey lies to his friends? But the monkey, you, you arrange for monkey one to discover the good stash. And then this monkey in some fashion goes off and tells his buddies to go look over there. The good stuff's over here and the monkey's busy. You guys go over there. And he goes and eats all the bananas. So, you know, they're, 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 they're clever animals. But there does seem to be, there do seem to be fundamental differences that you don't get around. That nobody, or at least nobody's figured out how to get around them yet. Nobody has figured around, uh, a way how to get monkeys to anything like the richness of the grammar that, that human language has. The result of this is that even if you want to concede that this is why you can answer both ways to the do animals have language, suppose you decide that all you want is some evidence for um, phonemes, morphemes, and, 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 and an ability to uh, be sensitive to structure. Well, yeah, there's some evidence that, 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 that chimps can do that, for instance. But the, the, the hurdle of developing a productive language, a language where you can say new stuff, um, that does not seem to be something that... Uh, that does not seem to be a hurdle that any non-human species gets over in either natural language or in, um, in trained language. So, you know, bees, great sophisticated stuff, but no evidence that the bee ever learns to talk about anything new with this, right? The, the bee doesn't get to, they don't get to sit around and apparently muse about, remember last year? Remember that honey, yeah, not the honey, you know, remember, remember that patch of flowers that was over there? Um, at least nobody, to my knowledge, has ever found the past tense in waggle or anything like, it, it, there's, it's, there up to a limit, but, but not, uh, not further. Now, uh, what I will do is take a momentary break here, say a word about why does this matter, um, and then what I'll do is entertain um, midterm questions for a few minutes before the, uh, before the end of the hour. So take a, take a quick stretch, and then let's come back and finish things up here. Um, why does this matter? Um, this has been a very contentious, uh, a, a very contentious topic. 
Um, and you know, more, more so than many, you know, people argue about visual attention, but people don't get like really agitated about it like it's a moral issue. People get agitated about um, animal language like it is a moral issue um, because in some fashion it is, it, or it, it, it is not itself a moral issue, but it, it, it impinges on issues that have more to do with morality than, um, than with science. Well, you could couch it in theological terms, if you like. In, in, in Psalms, um, the, the psalmist asks rhetorically at some point of God, um, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is it that makes us so special that, um, that we're different from all these animal things out there? Um, and that's a question that becomes difficult if there is not a nice, clean, qualitative difference between what an animal is and what us is. The, uh, this was one of the reasons why the advent of the theory of revol- uh, revolution, the theory of evolution was so, uh, so problematic because it suggested that um, that species were not you know, completely distinct and, and that we were somehow a completely separate sort of creation, but that, that there was a continuity between all forms of animal life up to and including us. Um, if that's the case, who is it that gets the sort of uh, rights and privileges that we would arrogate to ourselves, and who is it that we get to treat, well, who we get to treat like animals? And the search for a nice, clear answer, I'm not going to give you the answer to this, because there is, at least in my view, there is no nice, sharp, dividing line that, that, that gives you a nice, clean answer to this. But the search for a nice, clean answer could include, well, who can talk to us? Maybe, that's, maybe, maybe the ability to speak or communicate in a, in a linguistic way is the, is the critical division. Because, I mean, look, think about it in terms of what, you'll, what you would eat. If it were the case that um, you walk out into the field and the cow can talk to you, right, and, and carry on a conversation, even a sort of a simple conversation, a childlike conversation, good grass, like grass, nice grass, you know, what's the chance that you're going to eat him? It doesn't feel quite right anymore, right? It, it, this, and, and this, it's, it's not just language. We don't like to eat things that we get to know. Language is a good way to get to know something. But, but um, oh, third grade at the moment, reading Charlotte's Web, right? How many of you read Charlotte's Web at some point? Oh, good, still a classic out there. Uh, a lot of the issue, it's an issue about language and who you're going to get to eat. Um, there's, a, there's a great one in, in, uh, um, in, in the little Jewish kid uh, repertoire called uh, The Carp in the Bathtub, where uh, a, a, a big a carp is basically an overgrown goldfish thing comes home and is living in the bathtub, and, and, and the kids love it, but this thing is intended to be food, and sad things happen to the carp. Um, you know, the, it's hard, things that are close to you are not things that you want to kill, not things that you want, uh, necessarily want to hurt, and, and so how you draw that line is important. 
if you could argue that it is absolutely the case that there is human language ability and animal, uh, animals just don't got it at all. Another realm where this was tried was humans are tool users and animals just aren't. There's a sharp division there. We can see it. It makes these sorts of discussions somewhat easier. It doesn't make them a lot easier necessarily because, look, if you have a, a, a human child who has um, a congenital uh, neurological problem that means that that child will never speak, right? The kid's, uh, the kid's mentally retarded in some fashion is never going to speak. That doesn't mean you can eat him or anything of the sort. That's obvious sick nonsense, right? So it's, it's, there's, it's not a simple division, but the efforts to figure out what makes... Um, you know, what makes us distinctively human and as a result, who do human rights extend to is, 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 a, is a serious problem. One that I'm not going to attempt to, uh, to solve here, but one that is, is certainly worth your, uh, your, ongoing, uh, your ongoing consideration. Um, what I will attempt to solve here for the remaining 10, 15 minutes or so is I will uh, dutifully attempt to answer any questions about the midterm uh, that you might have at the present moment. Um, and uh, somebody's asked, a couple of people asked me, is it a hard midterm? And the answer is that the first two TAs who read it said, boy, this is easy. And the second two TAs who read it said, boy, this is hard. Um, but, and sadly, the distinction between the first two TAs and the second two TAs in this case was the first two TAs had TA'd the course last year um, and had been through this once before and the, the other ones hadn't. So you may use that tidbit of information in any way you see fit. Uh, what other tidbits of information can I provide for you? Oh, yeah, right, Al. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, closed class and open class uh, words, it's on, it's, it's on today's handout. Uh, I think I mentioned it last time, but let me reiterate that closed class, so it was on last time, so it's fair game for the midterm. Um, closed class words are words that uh, serve um, uh, grammatical, syntactical roles and do not, uh, you know, the, and, um, uh, you know, words that don't have a definition um, in any straightforward sense except to explain that the means noun is a common and means I'm joining a couple of things together. Um, and open class words are the other ones. Closed class, it's a much smaller set. The closed class words are, are a, um, a, 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 a very small set and the open class set is, is the set of all other words that fill up the dictionary and everything else. Um, so I think that's what you need to know about that. Oh, the other thing to know about it is that closed class words are what shows up when you get beyond the two-word stage in language development, right? Little kids, two-word stage kids don't say the ball. They say go ball or something like that. But, um, you know, when they start to say, I see the cat, um, you know, longer utterances, that, that's when you start getting these closed class things coming in. Okay, what else do you need to know? Everybody knows everything. This is great. No, okay, what? Do you need more short sentences? Like, 
Uh, if you look at the exam from years past, the, the mix is roughly comparable. I, I didn't actually check. It's, it's, I've, I've, there, there, there's a sort of an interesting push-pull here. Uh, the, 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 the longer answers are worth 10 points. So if I write long answer questions, um, they, uh, uh, I, I can get done writing the exam faster. I don't have to write as many questions. The short answer questions, the multiple choice questions, are a lot easier to grade. So if I write a lot of those, it's an easier, an easier test to grade. And, and, and so the mix of those two pressures leads me to sort of the usual mix, I think. Does it? Didn't look weird, did it? In any? Nah, it's about the, kind of the usual. Some of each. Yes? Um, the ones of you who come here will. The ones who sleep late. Well, actually, this is, at least it's taught in the afternoon here. Mostly people make it awake. It's, when we, is, the, is the final in the morning or in the afternoon? Any, it's morning? Afternoon. afternoon. Oh, good. Every, whenever it's in the morning, there's all these sad people who traipse in an hour and a half late with some great story about, I woke up when my alarm clock woke me up, but then I went back to sleep, and I had a dream that I was awake taking the exam. Can't I get credit for the answers I was writing? Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's here. It's here. Everybody's taking it here. And, and look, you know, do me a favor. Do your best to put a seat between each of you. And if you're not putting a seat between each of you because we've run out, you know, because there are 300 of you and not 600 seats, um, you know, it's considered good form not to take the exam like this particularly since the guy sitting next to you is probably is just as clueless as you are. Um, and it's really, really embarrassing when your wrong answer is exactly the same as the wrong answer sitting next to you. That's, I mean, it's okay on a multiple choice thing, but the, this happened, actually this happened to me once upon a time in, in grade school. I was accused of plagiarizing a, 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 a report, and they showed it to me, and... Uh, you know, you know, here's this kid's report, here's your report. These are identical, which was true. Um, and arrogant, smart kid that I was, I said, do you think I'd plagiarize from him? <laughs> I mean, it, was, it didn't take much of a brain to figure out who'd plagiarize from whom because this was a kid who was, you know, still reading the books with the print that you could read across the room. And anyway, <laughs> it was, uh, I wasn't going to plagiarize his... I was sort of flattered that he took my paper, I guess. Anyway, does anybody actually have a question I should answer here? Yeah, all right. Can I go over who? The logic of perception. Well, the logic of perception is Erwin Rock's uh, jargon for what I was really talking about in lecture, for instance, as, as, um, as inference, and I think maybe in the book also is Helmholtz's this idea of unconscious inference. It's this idea that you're, you're continuously making the best guess you can from an impoverished stimulus, that you've got a set of, uh, of rules built into you that say, um, that, that, that help you to try to figure out what it is that you're... you're um, you're looking at. There's more to, Locke, to, to Rock's argument than that, but not much more in the book, as I recall. There's a, something, something about like that. There was another hand over there a moment ago. Well, now there's one here. So, oh, so 
Lectures or book? This is the triage question. I haven't read the book. I wasn't at the lectures. Now what do I do? Um, the, uh, uh, the answer is that um, the intersection of book and lecture is the best place to devote your energy. So things that were covered in both are probably important enough that, well, you know, they're important enough that Gleitman thought it was important, I thought it was important. That sounds important. Um, beyond that, I used to say that because I, you know, am as, uh, you know, egocentric as the next person, that things that are in my lectures but not in the book are more likely to show up than things that are in the book but not in the lecture. But I'm not really sure that's true um, anymore. And, and so I would say that you know, after that, if I was trying to figure out how to ration my precious time, I would look at the set of kind of bullet questions that I put on most of the handouts until I ran out of time um, for the chapter readings. Because, you know, what you've got there is what I think is important in the chapters. And that's a pretty good bet on things that I might ask about. Um, I'm, you know, I, I got no particular stake in being arbitrarily evil and saying, can I find some really teeny little piece of the book that I can quiz you about? And yeah, nobody got it. Um, you know, the amusement of that wears off after the first 20 years of teaching the course, it turns out. Um, so, I, I, so another way of looking at it is I, I tend to ask questions. When I'm going for stuff that's just in the book, I tend to go for stuff that's covered in more than one sentence in the book. So if something is worth a page to Gleitman, you know, you might as well pay more attention to that than, than, a, than a passing figure caption. You'll be fine. All right, we'll take one more back there. Hour and a half. And you should know that it's no longer than it used to be when it was an hour long. So you'll be fine. What genre of book is it pr based on? Printed. Good luck. <laughs>